Well, good day, everybody. My name is Sam, and I'm Jack. Welcome back to the extras, Jack. We've had a week off last week. We Just, did. Yeah. We had confirmation. Yeah, that's right. That was an exciting Sunday uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, seeing eight young people give uh, testimony to their faith in Jesus. That was awesome. Um, so we didn't do question time, didn't do uh, podcast last week, but we're back this week. It's good to be back. It's good to be here. This is our last extras with you as you take a bit of a break from the Matthew series. Um, that's right. Yeah. Coming up, we've got uh, Gary and Dave coming to. To teach us over the next couple of weeks, so that we'll try and grab them on the podcast. Thanks for all your work in Matthew's Gospel. Um, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. I feel like every time I come to Matthew, I'm expecting, oh, you know, this is going to be easy. It's just back to the Gospels, back to basics, and then I actually get into it and be like, man, this, there's so much depth and richness here as we grapple with the work of Jesus. I've just, yeah, I've loved it this time around. Awesome. Yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, um, if if we miss church on Sunday for whatever reason, um, tell us where where were we in God's Word and, and what were some of the themes that we were looking at on Sunday. So we're looking at the back half of Matthew chapter nine, and the big theme, I guess, was this this new, this new thing that Jesus has come mm-hmm. to bring. Jesus is he's emphasizing the fact that that the new work that he's doing in the world is something that is is, is radical. It's 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 different. And he shows this kind of new kingdom that's breaking in as he does all these healings and raises his girl from the dead, showing mm. this his amazing power to renew the world. That's what we saw. Yeah, nice. Okay, and, and there's a big kind of contrast with the old as well. It's the, mm. the old is kind of finished now, and the new has arrived. Wineskins, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, right. Wrestling with all, with all those images. But it's, it's really helpful. Um, uh, now, we've got a bunch of questions that we're going to try and tackle today. It's what we do here on The Extras is we try and answer your questions as they've come in. Uh, across the weekend, and uh, I think we've got 10 questions, which is a nice round number. Is that right? No, I don't know, maybe eight. Uh, nine. 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 The yeah, there we go. All right, there you go. <laughs> um, and uh, so we're going to try and make our way through those. Some of these are great questions, really helpful, getting us to get into the Bible. And that's what I love about these questions mm. um, pushing us back into the Word, making us think. Uh, things through reading God's Word in light of God's Word. It's a great habit to have. So well done to you for your questions. Um, so here we go. Jack, um, someone's been reading Isaiah 58, which is a good thing to be doing. Um, yeah. And uh, that talks a little bit about fasting, and it has a rebuke in it about the way that the Israelites have been fasting. Um, and then uh, it, it feels like, the, the, the question comes in, does Isaiah 58 shed some light on our passage, Matthew 9, 14 to 17, in terms of fasting and, and some of the, the rebuke and the warning in Isaiah 58? Does that help us understand um, Matthew? So tell us what's Isaiah 58 about. And yeah. Does it, does it make sense of Matthew for us? Yeah, thank you. This is such a great question, and I'm really excited to see someone wrestling with the Old Testament as we grapple with Matthew, and particularly with Isaiah. I think one of the great things you can be doing as we read through Matthew is to be reading Isaiah as well, because I mean, we saw it on Sunday. We saw how key, there's, there's lots of Old Testament stuff in Matthew, but Isaiah particularly is really, I think, the big thing in the Old Testament that he is presenting Jesus' work as the fulfillment of. So yeah, so good on you for getting into it, and this is a great question. Yep. Isaiah 53, I'll read a couple of verses for you to get a feel for it. So 58? Sorry, yeah, Isaiah 58, verse yep. 3. Yep. Um, this is like the people of uh, Israel talking. They say, why have we fasted and you've not seen it? You know, we've, 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 why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? They say mm-hmm. to God. And then God says back to them, but on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. And the rest of this chapter, you see God rebuking these people who, yes, you know, they're doing the fasting, they're, you know, abstaining from food like they're supposed to, that's great. But the thing that he keeps bringing back against the people is their, their lack of love for each other, basically. He highlights mm. their, they're fighting each other, they're, they're, they're still oppressing the poor. Um, yeah, you see this kind of, 
uh, this contrast between the heart and the externals, I guess, you know, it's one mm-hmm. thing to do the fasting, but is your life actually, you know, transformed and showing the love of God to other people? Yeah. So they're treating it as a ritual to, yeah. do, to earn God's favor without fixing up the rest of their life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can see that there's a parallel there to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 9. So I think this is part of the background. Mm-hmm. So you see, yeah, Matthew 9, we talked about, you know, John's disciples come along and they're saying, you know, why don't your disciples fast? It's a, it's a very kind of religious, you know, you guys should be ticking the boxes is what yeah. you're meant to do and you're not doing yep. it. Yep. You maybe see it even more in Matthew chapter 6. So in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus talks about fasting a bit as well. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, and yep. he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. And that's another thing Jesus says about the, the fasting of his day, that it was it's, it's all external. You know, people would be there on the street corner just like doubled over, being like, oh, I'm so hungry because I'm so godly. Like, yeah, yeah, that kind yeah. of check, check me out how godly I am. You can see by this, you know, the, the look on my face. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So in both cases, you can see Jesus is rebuking this attitude that just says, ultimately, it's the thing you do that matters. Jesus is pushing people further to see, no, it's, it's the issues of the heart. They're the thing that okay. he has come to, to address. Yeah, which gets us into this whole new thing that, that God is doing, um, which yeah. is dealing with our hearts, So, which we'll come to in a bit. Um, okay, that, that's helpful. Um, let's, let's push on here. Um, what are we to make of verse 15, um, chapter 9, verse 15, which says um, that... Uh, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and mm. then they will fast. Um, what, are we, what are we to do with that language of, of being taken away from them? Um, the, the phrase seems to suggest that um, a more active role, perhaps of the father or someone, um, taking Jesus from them rather than Jesus kind of being in control and leaving when, when he's ready. Is that what's going? Is, is that what Jesus is alluding to here? Or mm, yeah, what? this is another good question. Yeah, I, I'm guessing. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing the person who asked this question may have had John chapter ten in mind. So when Jesus is talking about being the the good shepherd, one of the things that he says is, "I, I, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Mm. So you know, I lay down on my own accord." That's one of the things that John is really emphasizing about Jesus's willingness to die. So yeah, the fact that Jesus says here yeah, he's going to be taken away, it does sound like he's a bit more passive in that so what's going on yeah i think it's a good question yep trying to bring those things together yep first thing to say is i think it's not so much the father's role in taking jesus away that he has in view here i think he's talking about being taken away by people by the the Mm. sinful people who are going to reject him yep and you start to see this later on in matthew he's often talking about the, the the things that people are going to do to him so if you look at matthew chapter 16 verse 21 if you're following along jesus starts to talk about the things are going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed yes. and on the third day be raised to life. Mm. And he speaks like this a lot. He talks about, you know, things are going to happen to him, you know, almost like, you know, he's, he's passive in it, stuff's being done to him by other people. It's important to know that even that is not something that's against Jesus's will. Like, it's not like he's saying, oh, I'm going to be dragged away, kicking and screaming. One of the places you can see that is in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas leads the, the crowd of people in to take Jesus away. Yes. Uh, if you look at Matthew 26 verse 53, like he's being taken away at this time. Like, you know, they're, they're arresting him. They're seizing him. Yes. But, uh, 26 verse 53. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Yeah. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? So he, he's, yeah. he, if he wanted to, he could have avoided being taken away. Like he could have, mm. you know, summoned the the armies of 
almighty and you know zap everyone there but no he, he's willing to be taken mm. so i think he's saying yes i'm going to be taken but not against my will i'm going to mm. surrender to the will of these people who want to take me away so the way he lays down his life in his own control is to allow himself to be taken yeah exactly yeah okay that's great. Um, all right, now uh, pushing on a little bit into verses sixteen and seventeen, which mo- moves into this whole stuff around uh, old garments and new patches and old wineskins and new wineskin. We're not yeah. very good with wineskins and patching clothes. We just go to Kmart and get new ones. That's um, right. So <laughs> we're trying to get our get ourselves into these imagery. But a helpful question here in terms of you you helpfully explained for us on Sunday that just the idea here is that old doesn't mix with new. Um, but how does that reconcile with the idea that um, God doesn't change? Mm. That, the scripture tells us that. Um, yeah. So how do we have this sense of, it feels like there's an old thing that God was doing and a new thing. Is God changing plan, changing tack? Uh, is he changing or, yeah, how do we make sense of that? I think the distinction that would be helpful is that God in his being, in his character is not changing through this. The thing, that, the thing that's changing is is what God's doing. So this is a, a development and a, a new thing in God's plan. It's the mm-hmm. same eternal, unchanging God who's you know behind all of history, but this marks a new point in God's work in the world. So his old covenant, his old way of doing things with the people of Israel, he's the same God who was doing that, but now what Jesus has come to do is such a marked, radical, new thing that's that's different from what's gone before. It is something new, but God hasn't changed. He's still... Mm. The same yesterday, today, and forever. But what he's doing is different. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that sort of leads us into our next question here, which is, um, how do we make sense of this idea that Jesus was always the plan, mm. um, and yet um, the Bible talks about it as something new? How, yeah. How can it be new if it was always planned through the Old Testament? Yeah. I mean, that's a problem if you take new to mean like spontaneous you know if you get the impression Jesus saying oh like I'm here to do something new like I've had a new idea like I you know what we did before didn't work but I've had a brainwave like I know know, yeah (laughs) I've died on the cross amazing yeah just yeah came to him just in the nick of time (laughs) like you know you could read it that way but if you if you look at the whole of the bible uh the bible doesn't shy away from saying that what Jesus was doing is new but that doesn't mean it wasn't planned Mm. because even in the old testament God talks about what he's going to do that's new there's these prophecies in the book of jeremiah and ezekiel about the new covenant so even back in the old testament god says you know i am gonna do something in the future that is so radically different to what i've done before that we're going to call it new and like it's not spontaneous it's been planned from hundreds of years yeah from from yeah but uh it, it is something that's new so in jeremiah 31 the, the prophet says, you know, the days are coming, speaking for the Lord, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And the thing that's distinctive about the new covenant is that God is going to change the hearts of his people. So Jeremiah says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God and they will be my people. So you have this, this, this picture that, you know, in the past, like God gave the people his law, you know, he wrote it on stone tablets the Old Testament, you know, again and again, they just keep stuffing up. They can't keep it. God says, no, the new thing I'm going to do is I'm going to change your hearts. Mm. And I'm going to write this law, you know, on the, the tablet of your own heart. So I think that reflects what we're seeing in Matthew 9 as well. Jesus, the thing that he's come to do, this new thing, it is a matter of the heart. And you see that in, in the, the distinction between, you know, that mournful, just ritual fasting versus it's the joy. You know, mm. the bridegroom's here. It's a time for celebration. It's a, it's a heartfelt response to this yeah. new work of God. 
Nice, nice. Okay. Um, now, a couple of um, uh, detailed questions here. Um, verse 18, um, depending on which translation you're reading, uh, mm. the, the ESV uses the language of just ruler, but if you're reading an NIV, it talks about the synagogue leader. Yeah. Um, which might be the same, but also sound a little different. Um, uh, now, very helpful question here. Someone's written in, look, as this character has recognized Jesus' authority, it seems weird that this man would be Jewish when the only people who've recognized Jesus' authority so far are unclean in some way. Um, so is the NIV translation correct to, to, to call them a synagogue? Could it just be a general ruler, yeah. perhaps a, a, a Roman ruler or something mm. like that? Um, sort of fitting with Matthew's theme that the uh, the unexpected outsider recognizes Jesus. Yeah, a fantastic question. I love this. So the word in Matthew, it is, if you wanted to take the most kind of strict literal translation of the original language of verse 18, yep. Matthew's just talking about a ruler. So yes. it's a very generic word for anyone who, you know, leads in some way. Yes. So if you just had Matthew, maybe you could argue, oh, maybe this is some kind of Gentile ruler or something like that. Yep. I take it what the NIV translators are doing, though, is they're looking at the, the parallels to this passage in Mark and in Luke. Yes. So this story is uh, reported again in Mark chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 8. Yep. And both Mark and Luke refer to this guy as the, the ruler of the synagogue. Yes. So Matthew like abbreviates it. He just calls him the ruler. The ruler. Yeah. But we know that this is the same story. So the NIV translators are helping us to fill in the blanks mm. by you know, fleshing that out for us and saying, no, he is a ruler. He is the synagogue ruler. And we know that from the other ones. Yep. I mean, on the Jewish question, it's interesting. Like there has been a lot of emphasis through these chapters on... Jesus' work among the Gentiles. So we saw that in chapter 8, there's this Gentile centurion who has mm -hmm. amazing faith. Mm -hmm. You see Jesus go across the lake to the region of Gadara, to where the two guys with the demons are. It's a Gentile town. Yep. So there is this work among Gentiles. Definitely. But I think it would be overstating it to say that, you know, it's only ever people who are, uh, who are unclean, who are... Well, I mean, there's Jewish people who are unclean, but, you know, Gentiles as well. I think it would be overstating to say it's only those people who come to Jesus. Mm. Because you see a whole range of people come to Jesus through these chapters. I mean, Matthew chapter 4, the first disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, who come to Jesus, yep. they're Jewish. Yep. You see, you know, Matthew the tax collector. You yeah. know, maybe you could say he was an unclean Jew, but he's a Jewish guy who comes to Jesus. Yep. But there's even other people. So in Matthew chapter 8, verse uh, 19, mm. uh, this teacher of the law comes to Jesus. And says, you know, he's the one who says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And verse 21 says, Another disciple, meaning that the teacher of the law was also a disciple. Yeah. So here you have, you know, one of the Jewish leaders who, yes. at least in some initial way, is kind of following after Jesus. So I think it would be overstating it to say it's only Gentiles that, that Matthew and Jesus have in view here. Because there are Jewish people in the mix as well. Yeah. And in fact, the fact that we have the synagogue leader here, that's quite key because here is someone who is not just one of the lowly outcasts like a lot of the people we've seen come to Jesus, he had the synagogue ruler. He's, mm. you know, he's one of the richest, most powerful people in his town. Yep. And even he comes and kneels before Jesus. Like he falls at Jesus' feet, yes. admitting that he has nothing. His daughter's yes. died. There's nothing he can do. When you have, you know, a powerless outcast admit that they're powerless, that's one thing. But here to have a man who, humanly speaking, he's a powerful one. Even he yeah. bows the knee before Jesus. I think that's meant to be telling us and, something. And I think sometimes we, we run the, the risk of being sort of a bit simplistic in our thinking that all the, the leaders of, of the Jews were baddies and yeah. all rejected Jesus. Um, and all the unexpected people were all goodies who all accepted Jesus. Like mm. black hat, white hat type thinking. But actually, the, the Bible is much more nuanced. That, that there's, Jesus strikes this kind of divisive line 
and actually some of the the, the Pharisees are convinced. Yeah, and and and, uh, and there's that big argument about you know amongst the cynical, some are convinced, some are not. Mm, that's um, right. And, and even the guy who ends up taking Jesus' body is a is, is a synagogue leader. Yeah, yeah. Is, a, is a Pharisee. Mm. So it, he's it's not just that he casts out all the religious leaders, but he's quite divisive amongst yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah, okay. Um, all right, now no, another one uh, down at verse thirty. Jesus gives a stern warning, uh, not to let people know that he's done this healing. Um, mm. Why does Jesus sternly warn them to be quiet? Yeah, it does sound funny to us. Uh, I'll say something quick here. We did look at this a similar issue in Matthew chapter eight. Okay. So if you go back to the podcast from three weeks ago, the, the very first one in the Matthew series, you can have a listen to that for a, yep. a longer answer because Jesus says the same thing to Good. the man with leprosy back then. Yep. But but something quickly, yeah. I mean, Jesus here, he's he is trying to uh, contain the you know it's, we call it the messianic secret. This this. The, who he is and what he's able to do. Yep. The further that gets out, the more widespread it becomes, the harder it gets for Jesus to move out in the open because people are going to get excited. You know, people are going to mm-hmm. say, wow, the Messiah's here. Like, let's let's get Jesus and put him on a donkey and take him to Jerusalem and make him king by force. And that's yeah. not what Jesus came to do. So he's trying to limit the spread of what he's doing because okay. it's just not the right time in his mission for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But head back to a couple of weeks ago if you want to go into that a bit further. Yeah. But following on from that, verse 31, they're given this stern warning to shut up and then they go and tell everybody. Um, how do we make sense of this? Like they've seen Jesus' power. They appear to trust him. Um, and then they go and directly disobey Jesus' command. Yeah, it is striking, especially, I mean, as I said on Sunday, like these are the first guys who seem to realize who Jesus is. They're the ones who say, yeah. son of David, yeah. you're the Messiah, have mercy on us. And they have this immediate act of apparent disobedience when they walk off and spread all the news. Mm. It's, yeah, I find it a tricky question to work out. Matthew doesn't say a lot about it. Yep. You know, it's not like Matthew kind of gives you an editorial comment to say like, oh, and, they, and that and was they, bad. <laughs> yeah, and they sinned against the Lord by, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know, it just kind of happens and yep. he moves on. Yep. So I take it that, I mean, at some level, you know, yeah, they've received a stern warning from the Lord of the universe and they've done the exact opposite thing. Like, I... I take it that's wrong. I take it that's not not a great thing to do. Mm. But I think Matthew's point in highlighting it doesn't seem to be so much to condemn them for it. It seems like what he's doing is just talking about how the news about Jesus just can't be contained. What he's doing is so amazing. You know, it's like he picks these two guys going off and maybe they really wanted to not tell everyone, but they just couldn't help themselves because what Mm. Jesus has done for them is incredible. Mm. You know, he's transformed their lives. I mean, for starters, you can kind of imagine it. You know, they they go back to home and then people are like, hang on, you can see what happened. Mm. You know, what do you say at that point? Yeah. I guess they had kind of, you know, it spilled out from them. You see this, but you know, in the the passage before, so Matthew 9 verse 26, after the dead girls were raised back to life, you see a similar thing. News of this spread through all that region. And it happens again when the blind guys... You get this picture of the news is building, it's just going out, you know, the word's getting around and you can't yeah. contain that. So like a pot boiling up, it's going gonna, it's gonna to yeah. boil over at some That's point right. and the news is going to get out. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, now, uh, a question here about um, demons, uh, which we, we did talk a little bit about last time we, we did the podcast. Mm. Um, but here, we're told in verse 32 that the mute man's mouth was silent because he was, he was possessed by a demon. Yeah. Um, why is it that uh, modern-day disabilities or physical impairments aren't attributed to demons, is the question. Yeah, this is a really good question and a big one. And there's lots to say. Um, yeah, where do we start? I think there's a, a couple of extremes that are probably helpful to identify to, okay. uh, to start with. So you could... 
look at our world and look at sickness and the things that we go through and read the Bible and say, oh, wow, yeah, when people are sick, it's because they have a demon. Mm. And you could go into this mode that says, all right, we're going to, you know, reject all modern Western medicine. You know, if you get sick, don't go to the doctor, don't take any medication. You have a demon. Mm. Therefore, what you need is the exorcist. You Mm. need to come to church and have someone, you know, pray for you and cast out the demon in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, that's one extreme. Yep. I think that doesn't even work in the Bible because Mm. you see in Matthew, like, not everyone who's sick here has a demon. Mm. When the man with leprosy comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't cast out the demon. He heals his leprosy. Like, it's it's not like all medical problems we face are caused by demons. Yep. The other extreme is to go the just the, the Western, secular, you know, materialist, the only things that we can see, they're the things that are real and nothing else. Yes. And say, you know, there's, there's no link at all between evil spiritual forces and our sickness because evil spiritual forces don't exist. You know, it's only the bacteria and the viruses and the, you know, the brain chemistry issues that can cause our mental health problems. Mm. So why would you even talk about demons? That seems ridiculous. Yep. Those are your extremes. And I think neither of those things are true because the, I think the, the gospel clearly shows us, yeah, demons... Are at work in the world, and they can have an impact on people's health. Yeah, they can make this mute man. They can make this man mute. Yep. So what do we do with all that? So I think the the thing for us to to say is like, yes, we, we need to acknowledge. I think that there could be evil spiritual forces at play when we are sick. Okay. Um, it's. I mean, the question then is, well, how do you know? How do you know? Like, am I am I sick this time because I got a virus or because I I got a demon? Like, <laughs> yes, you know. Yep. How do you work that out? Yep. Um, yep. Well, like, one of the things we need to say is, if you're a Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon mm. uh, because you have the Holy Spirit mm. and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you and, you know, demons just cannot coexist with the holiness of God in you. So, yeah. if you're of Christ, you are not possessed. I can guarantee you that. He's, he's given us that promise. Yep. But there may be people out there in the world who don't know Jesus who, who come and, you know, present to us with things that look like physical sicknesses or that look like mental illnesses and may well be those things on a... Uh, but may have you know spiritual forces that are involved in that as well. Mm. It's not a it's not a cut and dry you know only hundred percent you know like I said we gotta be wary of the extremes. But we gotta acknowledge that yeah demons are at work in the world and they have power to do that kind of thing. Like I think the the first couple of chapters of the book of Job are helpful. You see there Satan has been given power by God to wreak havoc in the world. Yeah, to afflict Job. Yeah, you yeah. see him, and one of the things that happens is Job gets sick. You know, he gets covered yeah. head to toe in sores. Like, yeah. that's the power of the devil at work. Yeah, and that wasn't because he was unhygienic. It was because <laughs> yeah. the devils are working. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or on him, not in him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, Satan and his forces can do that. Mm. And it's worth saying that why, why could it not be that the physical means that we recognize, you know, yeah, the bacteria, the viruses, the things that we know can cause us to be sick. Maybe they're the tools that Satan uses. They're part of his means of bringing affliction to people in the world, I think. Mm. So bottom line is, yeah, when someone, when someone is sick, you know, what do you do? Well, I think the way that the scriptures call us to respond is we pray to God and ask for healing because we know that he's the one who can heal. And then go to the doctor, go to your GP, follow their advice because God's made a world where... There are certain natural means that work, and that's one of the normal means that he uses to heal. And then, yeah, if someone comes to you who's not a Christian, then, you know, maybe there is this demonic factor as well. We can pray for protection for them from the evil one and pray that they would come to know Jesus and preach the gospel to them and Mm. and call them to trust him because he's the one who has been victorious and banished all the demons. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's what we want for someone who's outside the kingdom. Yeah. Um, Because Mark, is it chapter 3, talks about Jesus coming as the one who's 
who can bind the strong man. Mm. Was it Mark four, three or four, somewhere there? Three, I think. Yeah, three. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that um, if we just you know Jesus teaching there is that if you just kind of kick out the demon and then leave the house neatly swept, then more demons will come back. Yeah. And sweet, nice, yeah. tidy house. Whereas right. Jesus is saying, I am the one who can bind the strong man, and I will get rid of him, and I will take up residence. Um, and actually make that person truly safe uh, mm. by, by residing in them through my Holy Spirit. And uh, so we want to um, pray, share the gospel, um, send people to the doctor, uh, all of the above, yeah, in, in right. order to um, yeah to, to look after their their well being. Mm. Yeah, complex stuff there, right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, um, and and probably there's more to say there. Yeah. Um, do you know, I mean, this is off the cuff, we didn't plan this. Are there any helpful resources to go and explore these things further? I mean, the one book that I've dipped into and found help on this is by a guy called Peter Bolt, who's mm. part of our Sydney Anglican scene. Uh, it's called Living with the Underworld. Mm. That's a good biblical look at the the teaching in the New Testament about unclean spirits and demons. Yeah. That's the place I'd go to if okay. you want to chase these down. There you go, down if, if you're looking to go further than where we've gone today. Okay. Mm. Uh, last question. Here we go. Rounding, round in the corner. Um, uh, verse. Uh, this is actually from a section outside our passage, um, from um, chapter eleven, um, where uh, it feels like John gets a bit sort of freaked out about Jesus. Um, he, because uh, and you, you referenced this passage, I think on Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Uh, where John is confused because he's like, well, hang on a minute. Are you the one to expect? And uh, Jesus gives him the answer. Look, the, the blind are being healed. The uh, Sorry, the, the blind yeah, the blind are given sight. The, mm. the, the lame are being healed, etc., etc. Um, these are the things. The, the kingdom has arrived. I am the one. Um, but didn't John already know? It seems an odd question for him to ask, given that yeah. he, he already made a prophecy about Jesus saying, look, the Lamb of God, you know, um, this one baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It, it feels That's like right. John's yeah. already got the answer. And now he's asking the question, hang on a minute, are you the one? How do we make sense of this? Yeah, even in Matthew, you know, John comes to Jesus to be baptized and John says, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. Like, yeah. he clearly knows that Jesus is the one who's come with power. He, yes. he seems to understand that this is the one that God has sent. So it seems like in chapter 11, he's just having a bit of a, a moment of doubt and a moment of uncertainty about it. And maybe it's fair enough when he's in prison. Mm. He, he's, he's the one who has come to proclaim the Messiah, prepare the way for him. You know, he's, he's the one who's like the, the herald of this coming kingdom. He's yes. going before the king expecting, you know, the cavalry's coming. And John's ended up in prison. Yeah. And that seems especially difficult when you think about some of the Old Testament verses. Like, John would have known all these things that Jesus is pointing into. He knew his Old Testament. Yes. And when you look at, you know, some of those Isaiah references that Jesus is talking about, Isaiah 61, from verse 1, the mm. servant of the Lord talking, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's mm. one of the yes. verses that Jesus references. Yes. It goes on. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, yeah. to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. So one of the things that the Messiah is meant to do is to... <laughs> release people from prison. Yeah, and here's John sitting in a dungeon thinking, you know, okay, I, I can see working. that... Yeah, like, blind being healed, yeah, dead being raised, okay, but here I am, like, chained to a wall. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So it seems like John is there thinking, yeah, okay, I... You know, I know that Jesus is the guy I thought I knew, but it just doesn't seem to be working out the way I expected. Yeah. So he seems to go to Jesus saying, 
Like, are you the guy? I'm, I'm not so mm. sure anymore. Things aren't quite mm. going the way I thought the Messianic Kingdom was going to happen. I don't understand why I'm still in prison. I think that's what is yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's right, because there's still a veil over how God's um, ultimate plan is going to work out, isn't there? Until mm. we see the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, it's, it's not fully clear how Jesus is going to express his Messianic yeah. rule. Um, that's all going to come clear. Unfortunately, John isn't going to make it to that point. That's right. He, he's going to die before that point, um, but he has to take on faith that mm. um, that Jesus is is who he says he is. So um, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jack. That's really helpful. That that's our that's our nine questions done. Um, this coming Sunday, you're not preaching to us. You're you're taking a little bit of um, time off to. Well, not when when the baby comes. You. That's uh, right. Yeah. So for those of you who may not know, my wife Katie is. 38 weeks pregnant this Woo-hoo. week, so any day now we'll be, God willing, welcoming our little one into the world. So yeah, I'd love your prayers for that, pray yep. for the delivery of our baby, and that means I'm stepping back from preaching for a little while. Yeah. So okay. Gary will be taking over from me for the rest of the series at Morning Church okay. and Night Church. Yeah. This Sunday we'll be getting into the last couple of verses of Matthew 9 and into Matthew 10, and nice. here you start to see the, the way that Jesus's heart for mission is going to play out in the gospel. Mm. So Jesus sees all these lost people who are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion on them and he tells his disciples, look, the harvest is plentiful, mm-hmm. but the workers are few. So pray that God would send out more workers into the harvest. And then guess what? He taps his 12 guys on the shoulders and sends them out into yeah. the harvest. So okay. we're going to start to think about what, what this means for mission. That's Fantastic. where we're going. All right. Well, very good. Well, um, yeah, thanks again for all your work, Jack, and uh, for preaching the, these last couple of weeks. Uh, we'll pray, be praying for you guys as uh, the baby number two descends Thank over, you. over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, cheers. And uh, looking forward to seeing everyone here uh, on, at church on Sunday uh, get, get fired up for the next section of Matthew's Gospel. It'll be good. All right. We'll see you then. See you later. Bye-bye.